regular people are taking their knowledge and content, packaging it up in an online course, and they're making a living doing it. But not everyone is successful with online courses. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. And I'm here to help course creators actually succeed with online courses. Hi, I'm Jacques Hopkins, and this is The Online Course Show. And off we go. Welcome aboard. Glad you're with us. This is The Online Course Show, and I'm your host, Jacques Hopkins. And here with me is our co-host. What's going on, Dr. K? Dude, I'm still up here shivering from my cold shower this morning. You did your homework. (laughs) That was the, yeah, but I left it till the last minute. So I'm talking about like 40 minutes ago. All right, a little context. (laughs) <laughs> Worst idea ever. <laughs> little context. I gave you some homework last week on the last episode. Um, there's a lot of benefits to cold showers. So what did you do? Which protocol did you do? Just a few seconds? Uh, no, I tried to do yours. And so uh, just all cold. And I think that I think uh, it's pretty cold up here in Iowa. I think the water might be colder up here than down where you're at. <laughs> but uh, probably. so basically, yeah, I mean, I just to be uh totally honest today, like my head and face are clean and my armpits are clean. <laughs> the rest was like water only. <laughs> I was just like, I'm done. And you feel amazing now, don't you? No, I'm like, my teeth are still chattering. <laughs> no, no. But um, I will stay like, I mean, it was kind of this PTSD moment. So, I mean, my, my sport, I was swimmer Dave. I mean, that was who I was up through all of high school. And uh, my high school swimming team, we had practiced 545 every morning. Three days a week, we had to jump into this pool and our coach had to have kept it at like 65 or something. So four years of jumping into a 65 degree pool three days a week at uh, 5.45 in the morning. It was like, it was a, a bad, bad memory of those moments. Okay. So I don't, it sounds like this is not going to be part of your regular routine, but you tried it. Now you can say you've done it. Yes. Okay. Yes. And, and maybe the day will be easier. Like you say. You got you got to keep us posted because you just did it right. There's there's advantages that are beyond actually being in the cold water. But let's let's move forward. Let's talk a little bit about courses. I have a little update I want to share with the audience. Last time I mentioned that I had some upcoming live webinars. I'm sure you remember that. Well, it didn't go so well. All right, I jumped on for a little bit of the stack of one of them. Okay, so I'll say the the first one didn't go so. Well. I do when I do live webinars. I like to do two to cover really all time zones. So I did one in the evening and then the next day, kind of midday. Uh, First one did not go so well. And it didn't go so well uh, purely from the metric of zero sales, actually. None, no sales. The the, the second one, I had uh, four sales. What's the difference? There was actually less people on the second, okay? So here's a huge lesson learned. And I, I mean... I'm not sure why I did this. Um, it's kind of a silly mistake, but let me ask you this, David. When you are testing something, how many variables should there be? Well, ideally just one. Ideally one, right? You want as few variables as possible because if you have multiple variables, then you don't really know what either what worked or what didn't work, right? And the problem with my first webinar is I had two variables instead of one. Okay. So a little more context. I was pre-selling kind of my new offer. I'm redoing my course right now. I have a couple of new courses, new features to my offer. Not everything's ready yet, but I wanted to pre-sell it, get a little market validation. So I kind of packaged everything up up and gave it a new name for the package and a new price point, 997. 
I've never sold my piano course for that much. And this was a test to see if I could sell it for that much and if it was worth it and, and how people responded to that. So I had a whole new stack with that price, but I also really redid how I presented the webinar too. Okay. So I presented it for the first time. I was live and on camera the entire time. What that, the, the problem with that is I couldn't read from a script at all. So is it winged or wang? I winged the whole thing. <laughs> I winged the whole thing. <laughs> I'm not sure which one's proper English, if either one of those is. It's definitely not wang. <laughs> I'm going with it, David. I'm going to say I winged the whole thing. Um, but I presented this so many times that I thought I had it, but I didn't. I didn't have it. I left out so much good stuff. When I got to the point where I was at my keyboard, I didn't execute it as near as well as I had when I pre-recorded it. I use Webinar Jam, which allows you to do what they call video injections. So normally when I do a live webinar, there's several parts where I inject a video and I'm still there. I'm still watching and, and looking at the comments go through, but I'm, I'm able to pre-do a few things and it makes it a lot easier on me. It also allows me some really nice built-in like water breaks and I'm just mm-hmm. talking for two, two and a half hours straight. So I finished the webinar on, um, I think it was a, a Wednesday night maybe, and didn't make any sales. It had been a while since I hadn't made a sale in a webinar, but it was weird. I wasn't really, I wasn't discouraged or anything. I was just, I was very intent on figuring out what the problem was. And I was like, man, you goofball, you changed the price, but you also completely changed what you did. And I, so I went back and I watched my last live webinar that night from April and watched it. And I was like, this is so much better than what I just did. Like so much better, so much more compelling. And I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of somebody watching it. It's like, I want to buy this so much better based on this presentation than what I just did. So that night I was like, okay, I've got to go back for tomorrow's webinar. I've got to go back and present it exactly like I did in April, other than the offer and the price. And I did. And I made four sales, even though there was only like 60 people on. I think there was 90 on the first one. 60 on the second one. So what do you think about all that? Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, so the four sales that second day were at that 997 price point? Yes. I think three th- three of them were nine, the full price and then one of them was a payment plan. Okay. But it was all for that big, big package. I mean, that's that's double your current top level package, correct? Right. Current top level so, package is 497. Yeah. Interesting though, right? So what do you think going forward? Like, Well, I have a plan going forward and that's a little bit different than this, but the main takeaway I wanted for the audience is, you know, I just, one thing I do with this podcast is I just peel back the curtain. I'm very transparent about how I run and the things I'm doing with my online piano course. People seem to get value out of that. So the main lesson is, hey, when you're testing something new, one variable, you goofball. And that's, uh, (laughs) that was my problem. Going forward, I'm just going to do a basic split test. So I have my funnel in place that's working, that's still making sales. I mean, it's made sales this morning. So I'm going to create a new version of my Evergreen webinar and sales video, sales page, and some of the emails that go out. And when somebody opts into my funnel, 50% will go down the existing path unchanged. 50% will go down the new path. And with the new path of the funnel, I'm going to change as little as possible. I'm just going to change anything related to the, the offer and the price. And then let that run for a month, six weeks, collect the data, right? And it's not as simple as necessarily quantity of sales or even revenue. You, you've got to look at the big picture. I'm expecting revenue to actually be similar. I, mean, I would expect to get less students 
at the higher price point. But then it's like, how engaged and interactive are those new new people? And just really, really look at it and, and make a good decision on the price going forward. I've never tried to sell it at 997 before. And if the answer is no, 497 is better, I'm good with that answer, but I won't know until I fully test it. Okay. I uh, I mean, do you want to know what I basically thought you were heading toward as far as the <laughs> uh, the main options? Or Yeah, go ahead. I mean, I thought that the lowest package was going to be the 497. That would include like, let's say three or six months in your community. Mm-hmm. And then I thought there would be like a $700 or an $800 package that would have lifetime access to the community and all the extra courses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I pitched the... Um... The and I thought actually you were going to start to charge for your community if somebody just bought the six month one they you might actually charge. Yeah, it's a fair point, a fair idea. It's something I've flirted with, but that's certainly more complicated, and uh, I'm not quite ready to try that yet. That might be something I try down the road, but right now I just want to see can this can I offer something? Can I offer a piano learning experience that people will buy and use and succeed with at nine hundred ninety seven dollars? I actually made sales, which is good. Now I'm ready to go to the next step, which is to split test it with my existing working funnel, Evergreen. And then once I come out of that, not to say I won't, you know, ideally I would always kind of have a split test of some sort going. And that's, that's, it's easy to get lazy with that. And I certainly have, but doing something where you're kind of charging for the community, charging for the interaction more on a monthly basis subscription, that could be something I split test down the road as well. Gotcha. Well, I mean, I definitely feel like I mean, the way that I look at the price is that anybody that can spend $500 on a piano course can spend a thousand. So theoretically, I mean, it's definitely what's that theoretically, but then where do you draw the line? Right. <laughs> That's a little bit of a slippery slope, right? If they can pay a thousand, right. they could pay 2000. Right. So are these uh, new people going straight into your new platform? No, no. Are you ready to announce that? <laughs> no, I'm I'm close, man. We're still we're still building it. I, people are constantly asking me what is the new platform. No, I feel I feel pretty good about it at this point. I think one of the reasons people keep asking me is some people are either new and want to make sure they're starting with the right platform for them, or other people are actually thinking about switching, and so they want to see what I'm going with because they know I've looked into all of them at a very deep level. And so I feel bad that people are maybe waiting to launch or waiting to do certain things until I announce. But I want to make it clear that the platform that I pick, just because I pick it doesn't mean it's the right fit for you, especially if you're more on the beginner side of things. I have just about 6,000 total students getting more every day. Um, and I've been doing this for almost eight years as well. And so I, I'm... What, what I'm using is, is actually not going to be a good thing for beginners. It's, it's not teachable. It's not uh, Kajabi. Those are great for beginners. It's not one of those. And if you're a beginner, then look into one of those. There's, there's, some, there's some other... Members Pro is great. I'm not using Members Pro. Members Pro is great, though. There's some... Man, there's a lot out there. A lot of people are using like Podia and New Zindler and even um, Kartra. I've been hearing a lot of people using Kartra lately. Sure. There's a lot of good ones out there, and none of those are the ones I'm using. But within a couple of weeks, I'll I'll, I'll actually say what what I'm using, and we'll be rolling new students onto the new platform probably early January. All right. Well, at some point, you'll have to tell us your top pick, like <laughs> for the two different types of people. Like, yeah, number one, somebody that already has an audience, so we're pretty sure that they're going to like 
they already have the ball rolling. And then somebody that's just truly like bootstrapping mode, just starting, doesn't have the audience yet. Perfect. Um, you should give us those two, those two recommendations and actually tell us what you would choose if you were in those shoes. I love it. Let's plan for that in a, in a couple of weeks. We'll do that for sure. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and transition to our main um, conversation of the day. I got to talk with Chris Lipe, a fellow music niche person, and he has found success with his online course very fast, very, very, very fast. Did a lot of lot of things right. Also got a little lucky with something that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so we'll talk about it as usual. You and I will talk about it on the back end. So, uh, without further ado, here is the full conversation between myself and Chris Lipe. Hey, Chris, welcome to the online course show. Thank you. My understanding is that you you haven't really been doing this all that long, and actually found success pretty quickly. Like. What's your background and when did you get the idea to start an online course? Yeah, well, I've been, I've been teaching online for a long time. I started back in 2009 working with a company called Jamplay, and I was one of their early instructors uh, teaching guitar. And that was kind of funny, too, because prior to working with them, I had worked at a, a big recording studio in Indiana. It was the recording wing of Sweetwater Sound, which is they're the biggest music technology retailer out there. And I was one of their lead studio engineers. And I got that job right out of college. And one of my main jobs was jingle writing, as well as producing other acts, which included working with lots of vocalists. And during that time, I honed my vocal abilities, you know, like crazy there. I also got to play a lot of guitar, do a lot of writing. And, you know, that was a great job, but it was far away from where I grew up, which is in Colorado. And my wife and I really wanted to get back to Colorado. So we, we moved back there and I, I uh, met through some mutual friends, the guys who were starting jam play. And they had started a year earlier and were looking for guitar teachers. And up to that point, I taught guitar, you know, in music stores and kind of as side gig kinds of things. But I hadn't done any sort of video instruction. Uh, as a matter of fact, the Sweetwater guys tried to get me to do some of that stuff on their, you know, on their platform. And I was just horrible at it. Um, <laughs> you know, I was nervous and I had too many people feeding me ideas at the same time and uh, just wasn't, wasn't good. So I kind of considered that a failure there. But when Jamplay asked me to do it, I was like, yeah, I could use some extra money. So I started teaching video guitar lessons for them and they ended up putting them on their their subscription website and this was back in 2000 2009 and i did that for 3 years for them i was one of their main teachers and then i came on full time with them helping them produce other uh guitar players courses and so i would i would film them i would help them come up with ideas and i got to work with some awesome guitar players and and you know brent mason Phil Keggy, lots of, you know, guitarists from famous bands as they started to do their artist series. I was the guy heading all that up and helping these guys who are not teachers come up with cool things to to do for jam play. And uh, then about three years after I went full time, jam play was looking pretty seriously at selling their company. And I was like, man, you know, I don't own any of this company. And I've put in a lot of time. I feel like I've really helped build this place. And I was 
seeing a bit more of the online climate, you know, I mean, more and more people were doing their own courses. And a good friend of mine, David Walliman, who I met through Jamplay, had already done his own website and has already started his own YouTube channel. And we had kept up a little bit over the years, but it was at a live event that we were doing for Jamplay. He had let me know that, you know, some of the things he was doing really took off. And it was at that point I was, I I just told myself, man, now's the time I've got to, I've got to do this. And so I um, put in my notice at Jamplay. I I started doing part-time stuff for them and I was doing um, other side work, uh, primarily in radio voiceover and radio production. And so I I leaned on that for a while and uh, reached out to David Walliman, who generously said, hey, you know, if you want to do a course together, we'll collaborate and we can we can launch to my list. And, you know, you're well known from Jamplay and you don't have a list yet, but I think this could be good for me and good for you. So we did we did an ear training course together. And this was at the time when when David Walliman's uh, traffic was just really high in terms of YouTube subscriber ads and his list was doing great and his course was doing really well. And we launched this course as one of his first uh, non evergreen launches. And it did really, really well. And it made both of us really excited. And so shortly after that, I started my own YouTube channel. Of course, I had nothing except for the presence on Jamplay's YouTube channel, which wasn't really all that regular. But I said, okay, I'm going to do two videos a week. And initially, I launched the channel as I'm going to do guitar video a week, a voice video per week, and a recording tips video per week. Or, or those were going to be my three videos and I was going to do two videos a week, but rotate between those. And I started in February of 2019. I officially launched the channel and it did terribly. Uh, <laughs> it was, <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd, you know, work really hard on a video and get, you know, a hundred views or less, even with, you know, the little bit of a list that I had started based on the work I'd done with Walliman, uh, you know, every time I'd email the list, I'd get a bunch of unsubscribes and, you know, the list was shrinking, the videos were not doing well. And even after, you know, a few months I was struggling because I'd spent so much time on the videos and not, I wasn't getting good response and I was running out of ideas already, uh, really discouraged. And, uh, that previous fall I had created the first version of Discover Your Voice, which is now my flagship course offering. And I offer a lot of different packages, um, additional packs that come along with Discover Your Voice now as well. But I had made that first version of it, and we'd done a small launch, uh, an affiliate-based launch to David Walliman's list at that point. And so I had that already. Uh, in, in some form of existence. And it was designed very much at the type of person that I would teach at Jamplay and consequently the same type of person that was on David Walliman's list because he was very guitar oriented. And so I had that course. I had my YouTube videos that were not doing well and I was ready to give up during the summer of 2019. Then my family and I were, were looking to move, uh, move houses. And we were under contract on a house. We had gone out to see some friends and I just did not have peace about moving 
this other house, it didn't have a, an immediate studio solution. So we were going to have to move in and I was going to have to, in the midst of, you know, trying to get into YouTube and, and be, you know, my own thing, we were going to move. And that just, it wasn't working in my mind, although I loved the house. And so I ended up, we ended up backing out of the contract last minute. And I had this, you know, I had money saved for the down payment. And we were, I, I was frustrated at that point. And I was, YouTube videos aren't doing well. I have to stay in this house. And I, so I, I thought, eh, you know, I'm going to dump some money on some videos that I've already done that aren't, you know, they're not that successful, but they're the most successful on my channel. They, they each had, you know, upper hundreds in, in the views. And one of the videos that I did that spring, I did a cover of Chris Cornell's The Day I Tried to Live or Soundgarden's The Day I Tried to Live. And then right after that, I did a, a video on how to sing like Chris Cornell, which it was one of those throwaway videos where I decided that after doing this cover that I would, you know, do this thing. It took me 12 minutes to make and, and just put it up and see what happens. And it, it was really a video of 12 minutes of me doing dying cat noises. And it talking about how this dying cat noise can be used as a gateway to unlock things in your voice. And it, it had several hundred views. And then I had another one, which was uh, how to scream, yell, and sing aggressively without hurting your voice. Those two videos had done pretty, pretty good for, for my channel, at least with, at that time, it had around five, 600 subs. And so I said, okay, I'm going to run Facebook ads and I don't even care. I'm not going to point to my course. I'm not going to, I just want people to see these videos. You know, if more people saw these videos, they would, they would like me and they would, you know, subscribe to my channel and then maybe I'd sell a few courses. So all the videos, I went back and I pasted a link to my course, even the ones that had nothing to do with, with, uh, voice lessons. And, uh, I ran those ads and I ran them for about three weeks or so. And then I started checking the, the analytics on YouTube. And the Chris Cornell video had just gone exponentially up in terms of views and audience participation and comments. And way more than the ad was suggesting that it should. I mean, I was definitely getting a boost from this external source. It was Facebook pointing to YouTube, you know, just an ad saying, hey, watch this video. That's it. Then I also noticed a week later that the aggressive vocal one had started to do the same thing and even more so. And I got a email the week after that. So this was late August from Google saying, shh, don't tell anybody right now, but we're going to feature your channel for 24 hours as a creator on the rise. And it's going to be on the front page of the YouTube trending section for 24 hours. That's it. And I, I the first thing I did was I called David Wallman. I was like, what does this mean? I, did, I, I have no idea. I couldn't even imagine, you know, I, I tried to get, less excited because, you know, you, you just, you just never know. And, and David was, he said, oh, you know, I, I bet you'll shoot up really, really quick. This is really neat. Uh, so I just, I got busy and I started filming extra videos so I could, cause I had not been all that, dil I had still done my two videos a week, but I hadn't really done vocal stuff. It was, I was in the midst of a pivot because I'd done vocals, guitar and recording and nobody seemed to care. And then these two vocal videos really took off. So I was like, okay, I got to, I got to do this. So I, I filmed a bunch of videos. And at that point I had, I'd also gotten this really bad cold. So I was trying to film in the midst of having a cold in the midst of this. So I shot up from, you know, 
five, 600 subscribers to 30,000 subscribers within two months, I believe it was. And because I already had my links, I already had my funnel, my email funnel designed. I already had my, you know, uh, the, the course, at least the first version of it there, I started selling courses and the courses came in, I mean, really, really well for someone. And, and I think that a lot of that was just that the growth was so strong and that's, that's how I got started. And, and so I really went from selling, you know, a few courses per month to having, you know, in August was, was, you know, that few courses per month. And then in September, I, uh, I completely replaced all other forms of income uh, and it, it became my main focus. September, 2019. Uh, September of 2019. Yes. Yeah. Not, not this past September. Okay. No, no, a year ago, pretty much, or a little over a year. This is amazing. This is amazing. Congratulations on, on you. all of that. That's such a cool sequence of events. When you were talking about, you know, you're, you're, you're about to give up on the YouTube channel. You're like, let me just throw some money at it. Of course, I'm thinking, okay, he's going to spend money on YouTube ads. And then you started saying Facebook. I'm like, okay, so he's going to upload the videos to Facebook and run ads there. But you literally paid for ads from Facebook to YouTube. I've, I've never heard anybody do that before. Yeah. And I didn't even upload the videos to Facebook. Right. I just pasted a YouTube link with a little write-up that was stating a problem, you know. Well, with these first two videos, I didn't really even know what I was doing. And I have kind of a funny story about that because <laughs> um, I had ran a couple ads before that. And I didn't understand how Facebook advertising worked at all. And I did a cover of the Star Spangled Banner for the 4th of July in the U.S. And it was a, an acapella version of me doing this. So uh, me doing the bass and the, you know, all the high notes and, and stuff like that. Um, but four-part harmony, just me. And I was really proud of this video and I thought, oh, I'll run an ad on it. And I didn't understand how the, the cost per click and, and demographic targeting and everything. So I ended up setting up the, the algorithm wrong on the Facebook ad, pointing to this video, which started a little bit late. So it didn't even, didn't even start like on the 4th of July. It started after the 4th of July and nobody in the US saw it. <laughs> um, it was really like everybody in the Middle East saw this video of me performing the national anthem and it just was, it was, you know, that was discouraging, but kind of funny too, in, in retrospect. So when I did these other videos, I at least had enough wherewithal to, I ran two different versions of each video or of each ad. One was targeted at a US audience only, and one was targeted at a worldwide audience, leaving out areas that I didn't think would be interested in the course. So just simply a YouTube link going over, watching, the, and that's, it was careless, but it, I think it worked. Well, it worked, but it indirectly worked from what I'm hearing. And I'd love to get yeah. some clarification there because there's plenty of people that are going to be listening to this that are struggling with YouTube like you were. And uh -huh. I don't necessarily think, hey, a Facebook ad to a YouTube video is the solution. I think that it was an amazing sequence of events for you. Mm -hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong, but would it be true to say that the Facebook ads themselves were not profitable? It's just that no. the Facebook ads then bumping up the traffic to YouTube is what then led to Google wanting to feature you. And then that's what ultimately turned everything profitable. Yeah, absolutely. And I just felt like I needed something. And, you know, I, I'd had lots of friends, you know, David Wallman, he had been doing his YouTube channel for, you know, a, almost a decade. Right. When maybe even longer before I got into it. And his, his growth has been, you know, this awesome, steady. Yes loyal, you know, thing. And I knew I was getting into the game late. 
And I thought, I just need something, you know? I mean, David can, I can guest on David's channel, but I don't really know anybody else. And I need some vehicle to show people what I'm doing. And since YouTube wasn't giving me any love, I thought, well, I'll just, I'll just pay for it, you know, take that risk. And it was expensive, but it was kind of like, I was telling a guy, um, as I was getting into this, you know, lots of people have hobbies that are really expensive, you know, woodworking (laughs) or golf, you know, golf, buying airplanes, you know, car collecting, whatever, you know, and these things initially are not profitable at all. Right. And I, so I, I told this, this friend that, you know, YouTube is a hobby. I've got this studio down there. I've got, you know, at the time I, I had my basic income needs covered from, you know, contract work that I was doing and part-time work from jam play. And, and so I thought, you know, this is just going to be an expensive hobby for a little bit. And instead of buying, you know, tools or cars or golf clubs, I don't play golf anyway, but you know, that kind of thing, it was going to be Facebook ads and it was going to take time and it was going to take money. And it didn't, I mean, I still, I still do that same thing. I'm, I'm scaling back on my Facebook ad approach now in that way, but I still run Facebook ads. They're still very expensive, um, <laughs> but it, it does, it, it fueled and continues to fuel the business. Well, it's a, it's a very interesting mindset to have behind the paying for traffic. I haven't heard anybody put it quite that way before where it's like, this is my hobby, you know, and, and other hobbies cost money. Now, mm-hmm. it makes sense, but why wouldn't you have done YouTube ads? Why did you go Facebook ads instead of YouTube ads? Interestingly enough, after the success of the Facebook ads, the following spring, I started to run YouTube ads and, and literally, you know, promote a video that had something interesting. And then I also did some, I also did a short video that that was basically saying, hey, come check out my YouTube channel if you want to learn how to sing in a little bit more eloquent way with some shots of the things I do on YouTube to try to get people fired up to to do it or to come check out the channel. And that was the only ad for a while. It was, you know, you click on a, a YouTube video about something and you have me coming up saying, hey, I'm not selling you anything. I just want you to come watch my YouTube channel. That's all I did. And then I ran another campaign, which was pointing directly to the opportunity to request an invitation to my course. And that's something we can get into later. My course is only available by invite. And the YouTube uh, thing didn't have near the impact that I felt like the Facebook approach did. And my theory is this, with a Facebook ad, you're going through and you're, you're scrolling through your feed and you're looking for something to engage in. You aren't currently engaged in any one specific thing, but you're looking for something to engage in. Maybe it's the picture of the hamburger that your friend took. Maybe it's some vacation that another family took that you want to learn about. Or maybe you're looking for something to do and you're bored. And you come across a video with a neat thumb that is, and you happen to be a singer or a recording guy. And, oh, I'm going to click on that. Pulls you out of Facebook, sends you over to YouTube, and you have chosen, you have chosen to watch that video. And so you're going to engage in it at least to some degree. And then if you like what you see in the first minute or so, you might keep watching, but you chose it. With YouTube ads, you do not choose them. The only initial call to action is that you skip it, right? So when with Facebook ads, my potential viewers were being asked to choose to watch. So they chose and they would go over and watch. With YouTube ads, If they were going to engage in my video, they didn't have to do anything. 
They didn't have to go over to my channel. They would just sit there and not skip the ad and then eventually skip it, you know, or they'd click the learn more. But in order to actually engage with me, they weren't required to do anything. So even if they really liked my video, they'd watch it. And, you know, the YouTube videos got really good views, but it wouldn't kick them over to the channel because inherently we as humans, especially when we're sitting there on our phones in the evening, scrolling through something to do, we're lazy. So YouTube ads did not take advantage of the fact that people could choose to watch me and then go over to my channel. Even YouTube itself, if they were engaged in my, in my video, my video ad didn't go to my channel. So they weren't going to subscribe. They weren't going to check out other videos. They were going to skip after that video ended and watch the video they actually wanted to watch. And this has been true. I still run YouTube ads only for uh, the course, though, requesting an invitation to the course. Um, But I don't think they work for what I was wanting to do, which is traffic. They they have not worked. It's not an I don't think. I know from looking at the the analytics and looking at the you know external traffic on Google Analytics, they don't work for for generating traffic like the Facebook approach that I took did. Well, it's a, it's a very interesting theory about the user actually choosing and clicking on it. Whereas it was, it's an interesting take to say, you know, the YouTube ad, the call to action, or the the first call to action is basically skip ad, right? Right. But I would I would push back to you on only one point there is that there's really my understanding is there I think there's four different types of YouTube ads actually. And before before we get into that, the style of marketing and advertising, I don't remember the exact technical terms, but um, I think the words like active and passive will probably suffice for this conversation. But when I first succeeded with advertising, I think sometime in 2017, probably, mm-hmm. I was like, you know, Facebook ads hasn't really worked. It's like, Google, when people do Google searches, right? Not even YouTube, but Google search, they're, like, they're actively searching for how to play piano. Like, why wouldn't I want an ad right at the top? Right. And to give people access to something or answers and solutions to exactly what they're searching for versus Facebook, where you're literally having to interrupt what they're doing. Right. And so I initially found great success with Google ads because I was jumping in front of people that were searching for exactly what I had to offer. Right. And, and I would, I would guess that, you know, that's some kind of active marketing, whereas Facebook, you're, you're, they're not necessarily searching for how to play piano. You've got to catch their attention. Right. And that's a really good point. Um, what I'm, doing with Google is specifically video ads at the beginning of videos currently. Which are the ones that have that quote unquote call to action to skip. Right. But what about the ones that appear? Like there's ones where they could go to YouTube and type in how to play piano and then there could be an ad at the top. That would be somebody choosing to click on a YouTube ad. Absolutely. Yeah. I've not experimented there yet. Definitely between that and then the SEO style ads, right? Where you're not even in YouTube. You're just in Google yes. and you have a paid ad that, that comes up. Those are on my list for sure. And the last two months of my business has been continuing to experiment with different types of, of advertising. Uh, and I've, I've gone away a little bit from the let's just get traffic to uh, let's go directly to the course um, or, or my course offerings, my website, chrislipe.com. And what's interesting is, you know, when we talk about list addition and, and, uh, you know, building a, your email list, this approach of, you know, paying for Facebook ads to point to my YouTube and then get people to subscribe to YouTube on my YouTube videos 
every single one of my YouTube videos from August 2019 till now, every single one has a call to action within the first 30 seconds and the last 30 seconds that encourages people to go to the lead magnet. Hey, the things that we're going to be working on in this, on this video are somewhat advanced. And if you want to learn how to sing, like some of the ways that I'm going to show you in this video, click the link below and join my free voice course. The very end recap. Hey, I hope you enjoyed this video. Again, if you want to take your voice to another level and let me help you rebuild your voice from the ground up, click the link below and join my free vocal course. Every single one of my videos does that. And I've had conversations with other YouTube uh, guys who, you know, they're, they're doing affiliate, uh, you know, they got microphones and they've got, you know, software and they've got all sorts of other things that, that they link to in their video info. And I don't do that currently. I may do that eventually. But what I noticed with this system is that I was creating very, very warm leads to my email. Um, you know, not that I will not pursue, uh, and I, I am in the process of pursuing some of these other forms of advertising, but even in doing that so far over the last two months, the leads that I generate from that type of, of advertising, uh, where they go directly to my website, they're cold. They're much colder. So I, I have averaged for a whole year well over a hundred emails per day into my into my list. My list is currently at around twenty five thousand, and I clean it every month. I, I get rid of the cold, I save them off, and, and clean them every month so that things remain fairly fairly warm. But the engagement from the list, the amount of people who join the free course and then elect to uh, request an invitation into the Discover Your Voice environment or or suite of courses has been well beyond has has gone well beyond the expectations that I would have had for a list or channel of my size and I think that the this lead warming process that I, I kind of stumbled upon I think it's worked really well and it's I have sold some courses off of the the direct to website ads but they are exponentially less than those who are warmed up I mean the number one sort of comment that I get is, oh man, I've been following your YouTube channel for a little while. I just, I love what you do. Thank you so much for giving uh, all your time to helping me improve my voice. I just had to sign up for the course. And that brings in... The free course or the paid course? Well, free course, but they can't get to the paid course in any other way than going to the free course. So they're, they're specifically talking about the paid course at that point. Okay. Like, I'm really excited to be here. You know, I'll get in the course, you know, because I have a little forum in there. And that's, that's the, the general story. I was so impressed with what happened with my voice on YouTube, just on your YouTube videos, that I signed up for the free course and my mind was blown in three days. And then I just decided that, okay, it's time. It's time for me to join this 12-week journey, discover your voice, and really take my voice to the next level. It's this, this idea that we are, we're giving away and we're providing so much value to people who aren't giving us any money that ultimately by the time they get presented with an offer from uh, you, they are, they trust you and, and appropriately so, and are excited to continue a relationship with you as opposed to start a relationship with you. I, I mean, I, I agree completely. It makes total sense to me. You know, my recommended steps for people to start an online course business is not step one, make the online course, step two, right. run ads to it by any, by any means. Right. My, my first advice is if you don't have an audience, you don't have a list, like you, you know, I mean, you were talking about how you were getting started. You didn't have a list, right? You started mm -hmm. teaming up with David 
who, who, by the way, that's who recommended you to come on. And he's been on this podcast a couple of times. He's one of my favorite it's great. YouTube success stories. But I recommend people get started. They got to start building the audience. And I, and I right. say, pick one platform mm-hmm. and put out content on a consistent schedule. Right. I recommend YouTube for the most part. It doesn't have to be YouTube. It could be a podcast. It could be other platforms. But in general, for course creators, especially those of us in the music niche, it's YouTube is a great place to get started. And that's what right. you did. And you said from the very first video, you had that same call to action. Are you, I mean, if I go back to your very first video you uploaded to YouTube, I will see that same call to action. Um, maybe not the very first video. Some of the early <laughs> guitar videos and recording videos don't, yeah. don't have that on there. Uh, at least in video form with me making the pitch. I started out when I had less focus. It was sometimes it was like, eh, download the track I'm using here or go to, you know, it was all, there was always some lead magnet. Um, but once I figured out vocals where it was the thing that was going to be the, the main thing, um, every single one joined my free course. So once you figured out vocals was going to be your main niche, I'm guessing you created, uh, here's my guess is that you created the free course so that you'd have a lead magnet. Then you started having the calls to action in the new videos you'd create. Uh-huh. And then you made the paid course. Is no. that the sequence of events? I actually made the paid course before I started my YouTube channel. Why? Because I thought with this ear training course that I did with David Walliman did really well. And I'm going to make this course and I'm going to have it in place. Maybe I'll, I'll pitch it, you know, I'll, I'll do an affiliate split with David Walliman, you know, so he didn't have to come up with another course. People knew me from the ear training, people knew me from jam play. And we did an initial launch before, and I had done a little bit of YouTube stuff, but right, it was, there was that, there was that six month period where I didn't, I wasn't getting any traction and I was doing sort of aimless things on YouTube, right? Where I was doing a recording video and a vocal video and a guitar video and building my voice course for Walliman's list, essentially. And so, I had the paid course done, at least the first version of it, before YouTube took off. And then I had the lead magnet, which is the the free course, which actually includes David Wallman as a guest. I'm walking him through how to discover things about his voice. That's a lead magnet, which is super cool because people on my YouTube videos, it's just me. And they join the free course and they go, oh, here's a guy, like, here's me being goofy and doing all these weird things with my voice as a teacher, and the student is doing the same thing. Oh, and that student's also a YouTuber. It's just this really neat thing. Uh, it's very valuable. But all of that existed prior to prior to YouTube taking off, and even prior, uh, well, not prior to, but at the same time that vocals became my, my focus. Because you had had that success with the ear training course with David. Yeah. Right? And, and yeah, yeah. So, so that went well. You're like, okay, let's do it again. So let me make another mm-hmm. course. Let's promote mm-hmm. it over here. And then that's when you start, then, then you're like, okay, I need to build my own audience. I need to build my own list. Yep. And that's when you started getting into YouTube. Yeah. So for, for just about any singing video, especially the most recent several months on your YouTube channel, I could expect that call to action over to your free course. And that seems to be going very well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead. I'm doing that right now. I'm on, I'm one of your most recent uh, videos. I'm sure there's a call to action in the video, in the description. Um, it says free voice lessons, chrislipe.com slash free your voice. That's the free course. Yep. Uh-huh. Okay. So mm-hmm. I'm going to click on that. And now I'm on a landing page. By the way, what, what software are you using to build your landing pages? Uh, Elementor. I have a, a guy who's helping me. Okay. So just WordPress. Yeah. Yeah. WordPress. No funnel software, no click funnels, no Thrive or anything like that. 
we're using, I don't manage that part of it. Uh, I, I've hired a guy to help me, you know, with SEO and uh, retargeting and all that stuff. And I'm not sure exactly what he's using for that, but I know we're, we're tied into Facebook Pixel. Yeah. But if I log, so let's say I opt in here, it's a very, mm-hmm. very well-designed um, opt-in page. And I see a picture yeah. of you and David here. Right. <laughs> and if I opt in, then is it, um, do I get a username and password or is it oh, just no. a page with some videos? No. So, okay. So, so what it does is they, they opt in and then they get emails. They get added to my list and they get entered into a sequence. I use ConvertKit mm-hmm. okay. for that. And they, they get the course delivered to them over the next three days as just different landing pages. They don't have to re-sign in. All they have to do is give me their first name and their email. And then they get, they get the course delivered over the next three days. So it requires consistent engagement with the list or with their emails. And then on the fourth email in that sequence is a thing that says, you know, hey, you guys, uh, if you've really enjoyed this free course, I have a special invitation for you that's coming soon. And I have it set up so that it's paced, whereas people are completing, because Discover Your Voice is a 12-week journey. It's a drip course that people are, they're engaged every week. They get new material every week for 12 weeks. They can get behind because they have lifetime access to the course, but they're not going to be able to work ahead. Uh, they're, they have to go every week for 12 weeks. And so it varies, but I, I look at my course completion uh, rate and I look at my uh, conversion rate and I said I tweak my evergreen funnel every once in a while to keep up with that with that pacing and it creates this by invitation only man I, I hope I can get in on this enrollment period and and it's good because it creates this relationship too with the students I want to open and close enrollment for you because I want to be available voice lessons are not like any other lessons you need the ability to have access to your instructor. And if I just leave the course open all the time and just have a you know big price tag on the front of my website saying, here, join for this, I'm going to get large, you know, and then run a sale on it or whatever uh, here and there. I'm going to get massive people signing up all at the same time. And then I'm not going to have anybody in the course for a while. I would rather have a steady stream of people joining so that I know that I can walk through the course with these people that want to learn about their voice. They're not just wanting to spend money for the sake of spending money. They want to go to a deeper level. If they want to engage with me on a shallow level, they can watch my YouTube stuff. But what differentiates my YouTube or my course offerings from my YouTube is that it is a journey. It is a handheld journey. And you can even opt to get private face-to-face instruction in that journey once you have joined the course. So if I opt in right now, I'll get an email same day with the first of three lessons. Yes. And then the following day, the next video, following day, the next video, and then you'll get... Following day, next video. Yep. And then you'll get uh, the, there is an invitation coming soon. On the fourth day. And then that, on the fourth day, there's an invitation coming soon. Yep. And while they're still warm, again, I tweak this depending on how the evergreen uh, traffic is going. But it could be the next day, could be a few days, could be a week, but I, I still want them to be excited and uh, warm when it comes to, you know, oh, yeah, really want to get in. So yeah, that's, that's how that works. Okay. So let's, let's talk about how that looks in terms of the framing, because 
I mean, my funnel is not that, from what we've talked about, my funnel is not that far off from, from yours, right? They opt in for the free material. I take them through uh-huh. some free videos. And then for me, the way that I phrase it, everything is like, I'll, I'll literally have an email that goes out that doesn't have any links. It says, enrollment is opening tomorrow. You know, mark your calendar. Right. 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 But I call it enrollment. It's all about the availability. It's not, hey, yeah. your, Mine too. your invitation is coming. So, yeah. hey, your invitation is coming. And then once that invitation actually shows up, what does it look like? Is it a sales page? Is it basically, hey, enrollment is open? Or is it like an application? Is it truly an invitation? It is. Well, for the first instantiation, so I've got two things going on here. For the first instantiation, it is enrollment is open. You are invited. Then they they click the link and then it goes to a landing page. It uh, has the current offerings and it has, of course, copy that tells them, uh, you know, about the course and gets them excited. And then there's multiple tiers that they can opt to to engage with um, and enroll in if they and then, of course, they, they'll get emails multiple times for five days and then enrollment will close and they're on enrollment will close for for that group of people then they sit on my list with every single email that i send out with free content you know it's an announcement of a, a new youtube video that i've i've released i'll regularly email at least once a week about the new videos that i put up on the channel with every one of those the people that are not currently able to enroll in the evergreen uh, sequence, they are then given an opportunity to request an invitation to the course. So they missed it. Enrollment was open for them. They missed it. Well, if you haven't done so already and you are still getting huge value out of these YouTube videos and you'd like to take your voice to another level, but didn't get in on your initial enrollment period, click the link below to request another invitation to my course. That then re-enters them into a different funnel with a separate set of engaging emails that is delayed. And well, I would say it's, it enters them into a segment. <laughs> it enters them into a segment, and then I will manually tick on that open enrollment uh, when enrollment is open. And so then those people who miss the first time, they get another offer, usually within a month or something like that, to get back into the course. So it, it supports the idea that enrollment opens and closes, and that I only allow a certain amount of people in so that I can be engaged with the people going through the material, and at the same time gives people other opportunities throughout the year to get in. And that's worked marvelously well, really, really well. So just to make sure I'm understanding, when you send out these, let's call them value emails to your to your list that has already been through the Evergreen Funnel, you're, you made a new video, you're emailing them out. In the body of that email, it also says something like, if you would like to request an invitation to the course, click here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it. And that's just, it's like an, a PS or an, yeah. and, you know, thanks for checking out this video on Freddie Mercury. Uh, if you want to take your voice to another level and you missed out, you know, request an invitation to the course. Interesting. So you have this powerful evergreen funnel that is working. Mm-hmm. And then once somebody goes through the evergreen funnel and doesn't unsubscribe or buy, mm-hmm. that's your way of, of handling those people going into the future. Yeah, I'll retarget them in that way. I'll re-engage them in that way uh, through the value emails. And then of course, when I launch a new course or have a special you know, holiday thing, uh, then the, the whole list is re-engaged at that point as well. Did you, where did you learn that approach? Did you come up with it yourself? Uh, yeah, that one was one that I just thought, huh, there's, because I always liked the idea of the, and I'm sure other people are doing it. You know, it's, this isn't something that 
you know, I invented, but I had this, this idea that my course is a, it's a premium offering that is by invitation only. It's a 12 week journey. It's designed to be not just more videos because we don't just need more videos. I have plenty of videos on YouTube and so does the rest of the world. We need an environment. We need a journey. And so this idea of having an opportunity to request an invitation, it's another way to give to your, your engaged audience. I'm giving you an opportunity to request an invitation. And anytime, you know, all the, the business entrepreneur business things that I've read, how many different ways can you provide value? You can provide value with, you know, that, that's the question we always need to be answering uh, and looking for different ways to answer, right? And so sometimes that's through free content. Sometimes that's through an offer, right? I'm, I'm not just offering, I'm not just asking for money. I'm not, just, I'm not just asking for you to enroll in my course. I'm offering you an opportunity. And so the other reason I like the invitation thing is that they are making a decision that they want to engage with the 12-week journey before they're being asked to make the decision to purchase it. And I feel like it's kind of like, you know, when you are, you know, I like, I like cars and I don't have, you know, I own two cars, you know, one, one for my wife and one for me, but I love renting cars and I like taking my kids out and you know, getting this really crazy, amazing car and, and going on a mountain drive with it or whatever. And then, but before we, we go and we find a car to rent, we experience it through a book or research online or whatever. And, and, you know, oh, you know, it's got this many horsepower and it, it, you know, here's the history of this car or whatever. And we experience it and we have this experience that doesn't cost me anything. It just allows me to dream and think about what would it be like, what will it be like when I get into that car and take it up, you know, into, you know, around Rocky Mountain National Park, you know, I'm on those windy roads and I'm, you know, downshifting out of the curve. And, you know, you start imagining all these things that you can, you can do. And there's no sticker shock at all. There's, there's nothing. I've made, already made my decision that I'm going to rent that car. And I really don't, you know, I, I don't want to pay thousands of dollars for a few hours or whatever. You know, I, I don't want to, I want it to I still want it to be a good deal. I want it to feel like it's valuable when I go and rent that car, right? But I don't, I'm not going to quibble over a certain range of price because I've already decided it's something I want to do. And that's how I want to treat every, every student, every potential student. I want them to already decide that they're ready before they know how much anything costs. And the other thing is that gives me some flexibility. Uh, I, you know, when I first started the option to enroll in the course with a single private consult, the price was much lower. And when, and I was, I was getting a lot of people signing up for this course with the private consult. And I thought, well, this is great. I, I like engaging with people one-to-one, but as you know, things continue to grow, I'm not going to be able to handle as, as many students in this way. And so it allowed me to raise the price of that offering because I don't advertise my prices anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> You're a wise man, Chris Lipe. Well, thank you. In kind of the evolution that I see in course creators and in, in terms of like launch models, if you will, it's like everybody knows about launches, right? It's like, right. I'm going to do a big launch and right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get as many students as at one time and then they go launch and, and then it's like, okay, well, now what? Because I'm not making any money right now. I've just, I've just did my launch. So then, then people start transitioning to evergreen funnels. 
right? which is what you've got now, obviously. And once you get that up and dialed in and working, okay, that's amazing. But hey, what about these people that go through the funnel and they didn't unsubscribe or buy, mm-hmm. right? That's your, your approach is interesting. It's not one I've heard before. The way that I do it, I'll try to put it as simple as possible because I've yeah. talked about the podcast several times, but when somebody goes through the Evergreen Funnel, they don't unsubscribe or buy, I'll put them in one of four buckets based on what month it currently is. Mm-hmm. And then that allows me to just do a relaunch to my list, every uh, to a quarter of my list every four months. Yeah. So every month, every month I'm relaunching to a quarter of my list. That's a great idea. Yeah. Well, it's not that far different than what yeah. you're doing. No, it's really not. It's, it's, I like your approach because it's, it's a little more active for the, the email subscriber. Cause you're, mm-hmm. you're sending them value. You're sending them more value emails than I typically do. You're sending it once a week. And so they're continuing to get more and more value from you. And when they're ready, right. they're the ones that have to click, right. Hey, I want an invitation, right? You're not actively uh, relaunching to them until they take that action. If I'm hearing you correctly. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and I mean, there is that, that aspect that they will, if they don't request an invitation, or even if they do request an invitation and don't buy, they will still get put into a, like you're saying, they'll get put into a bucket for uh, another relaunch. So I'll, I'll relaunch. And also my relaunches will always, there'll always be a, an additional value to the relaunch. And so, you know, this time there's this new mini pack that, you know, it, um, the energy and agility practice pack or the mixed voice and madness practice pack or the aggressive vocalist master plan of attack or the 31 wellness warm-ups for your voice. There's always another course when I relaunch that will help, you know, oh, wow, I should get in. And, and I always will, I'll relaunch with a, a bundle for the, all the non-buyers with another valuable thing that hopefully will pique their interest in a way that the first offer didn't. And then, but before I do that, I'll take that new course and I'll offer it as a special student discount for those people who have already uh, enrolled in the course. And so. Uh, it's essentially a two week launch that I'll do. And I'll do these once every month. It's also new, right? But it's been about once a month, once every other month. And I will have a, an additional small course. This one will be launched to my current Discover Your Voice students. Hey, I'm happy you're working your way through Discover Your Voice. Sounds like things are going great. Here's something that will supercharge your journey. And it's brand new. And for this week, you can take advantage of a special student discount. And it's drastically discounted from where it's going to be if they just, you know, get it somewhere somewhere else or or after this this week special student discount. And then that that window closes and then the the launch to the whole list of of non-buyers, they get this this bundle that that they can then take advantage of, which is usually uh, a you know, it's a, it's it's probably not less than just enrolling in the course, but you're getting more content. So I, I really I have slashed my prices once for the main course and I like to keep my I don't like to do that. I like to rather than slashing my price, I like to provide additional value. I agree with that as well. So as far as pricing goes, you know, I like your analogy with the car. It's like I don't know how much really this is going to cost to to rent this car, but I'm I'm looking into it. I like what I see. I can see myself in the car. And then as long as it's not like a million dollars, like I, I know I'm in kind of regardless of price. Right. And that's kind of how you're trying to frame your course um, by not, you're not showing the price on the, on the homepage. And I, I'm, I don't do that either. Yeah. All right. So, so once somebody does get the ability to enroll, whether it's, you know, Evergreen or one of the kind of relaunches, I know you've got, you've got a lot of different things going on, but kind of the, the main offer, I'm curious to know what kind of 
ballpark pricing we're talking about. This seems like a pretty elaborate offer. You're trying to price it as a premium product, but at this point, I don't know if we're talking 50 bucks, 500, $5,000 for what you have to offer. Can you give me a ballpark on, on kind of what your main offer costs? Yeah. So there's, there's lots of different bundles or different options, right? You can opt to, to do the just discover your voice as the, as the smallest tier. Uh, and then I've got a mid tier offer, which is discover your voice and two additional practice packs and plans. And then I've got the third tier, which is the highest tier, which is a all of the the practice packs, the two additional practice packs, plus a private consult that will happen after week three of the course. And all of my offerings are in the low to mid hundreds. So you are you can get in for you know I've got a lot of and this is this has really been interesting because David Wallman's list and what I initially sold to his list in terms of course demographic. His list is, you know, 35 to 60 something people. I mean, they're older, you know, they're older than me. And primarily I'm selling to people that are younger than me. I'm 39, but I do get a lot of people who are older as well. But it's interesting having that range and, you know, I've got these options where, you know, if they, if they opt to go for the lowest tier, which is just discover your voice, it's the full 12 week journey they click there, they'll have the opportunity before they check out to do the mid-tier. If they choose the mid-tier, they do not have then the opportunity to be reminded about the top tier. And I do that just because the top tier with the consult is not, uh, you know, I only want people who are are very serious about working face-to-face with me to opt for that option. Got it. That makes sense. This is like super valuable, by the way. Like, this is awesome. Thank you. That's good. Good. We we had never met before, uh-huh. and um, you never know what you're going to get if you know you know what I mean. And like, right, especially for such a young company, really, it's like the level of intricacies of your funnel and the way you approach things is is really incredible. It's fun to, yeah. I mean, I've had a lot of fun experimenting with with all of that. I think that's one of the you know. Of course, I love doing the content too. But one of the things that I I really enjoyed about working at Jamplay was that I got to I got to focus on content and and do things that that excited me and excited people and and that's ultimately what I love about doing voice lessons too right um both on YouTube and in my courses but I didn't anticipate how much fun I would have writing emails I've got multiple tiers too I think that th- there's a lot of value there for both you know yourself as the course creator and the students as well so somebody enrolls depending on what tier like is that delivered via email or using one of these course platforms to execute the course too? Got it. So I use a platform called Teachable. Sure. And the courses that all the paid courses, and there are a few free courses too, uh, that I use as sub lead magnets now and again, but all the courses are hosted on Teachable currently. The front end, it depends on the email sequence, but all of the landing pages and info pages for the courses are done as as a WordPress, and then I link to the checkout for Teachable, and then when they're actually in, they create a Teachable account, and you know they engage in Teachable. Got it. So you mentioned earlier about you kind of have a, like a marketing guy. You said uh, we were talking about click like funnels and building funnels and stuff. It sounded like you had a guy for that. So tell me about him or her and and your team overall, if if there is one beyond that. Yeah. So this this guy that he's basically his primary role is is web designer, and then. 
um, working with uh, Facebook and YouTube audiences. And I just didn't have and don't have the time or the interest in, you know, as much as I enjoy engaging with the content and, you know, and that includes writing emails and stuff like that. I, I hate playing with web design layout and, you know, shapes and like, why can't I just drag this one image right here and have it be there? Or why does this font keep changing when I clicked? Like, I just, I hate that stuff. Even with all the neat, you know, Wix and Elementor and, you know, these, these things that are supposed to be fairly idiot proof when it comes to designing web pages, just feel like I spend so much time. I have in in my experimenting spent so much time on that stuff that, and it, it always looks terrible or not up to what I feel like my standards are. So this guy that I have working uh, with me, <laughs> he was actually, uh, you know, 10 years ago, he was a student of mine on jam play, a guitar student. And he found me once I started doing vocals and he's like, Hey, you're doing, you're doing this. Oh, this is cool. Let me know if you ever want to scale. Um, and at the time I was already scaling in the ways that I've been talking about, but I just, I was making these terrible landing pages in Teachable with their, you know, 1.0 page builder, which I still use for some things. I've gotten enough around that, but his job is, you know, you, you go and you, you, you look at the website and it's actually well-designed. There's some animations and there's the colors and there's, the, you know, he does all that. He's the design for the front end of the landing pages and, and all of that stuff. And then he also has linked through, you know, Facebook Pixel and SEO and the Google ads and YouTube ads that I'm doing. He manages all of that. I still write all the copy for all the ads. I still write all the copy for, I I had a copywriter for a while and he's great. Um, He was another guy just reached out on the list, student, loves the, loved the product and, and thought that he could, you know, help. And he participated in several launches last spring and uh, helped me refine a little bit my evergreen funnel uh, emails. And then, you know, I just didn't have enough work. He ended up getting a full-time job. I didn't have enough work for him to do, but I love, I love writing the emails. I take, it's time consuming. I, I probably take way too long on it, but I, I enjoy it. I, I like to tell stories in a lot of times there, you know, like with this whole pandemic weirdness, Sometimes I'm just, just kind of open up. Here's how I'm feeling. And, you know, particularly when it was really, really bad in, in April and May, I mean, one of the, and it, this was in a sales email. It was just like, we are all facing a time that, that we never really thought we'd face and we can do, we have choices. We can sit around and worry, or we can use this as an opportunity to engage in something that we maybe wouldn't have gotten a chance to engage in otherwise. We've been given the gift of time, many of us. And if you want to use this time, I'm going to give you a special opportunity to do that. And it's great because if you take this opportunity, it's going to give me an opportunity to use my time wisely as well. And that was the substance of an entire email campaign was this idea of time. So it wasn't even selling the course. I didn't even talk about the course that much. I just talked about time and it worked really, really well. Got a lot of students there. And then another launch that I did over the summer was on an aggressive vocal course, which my, my main offering does not touch on that much, although I cover it a lot on YouTube. The sales page and the emails I sent out about there uh, on that course had very little to do with the course and way more to do with that relatability factor, that driving the car, you know, picture yourself in this environment. Now let me help you get there. That's it. And so I love that sort of storytelling email approach. I feel like 
and I get I get a lot of replies back and a lot of people just having conversations with me. And it was interesting because I didn't, I mean, I've always liked making content, but I didn't really anticipate how much I would enjoy the email, the, the audience engagement, list engagement, creating different ways to engage my my list. I didn't think I'd enjoy that very much. I really, I really, really find value in that for me. Well, I appreciate the positive twist with, with the pandemic and everything. And that reminds me of a, a Twitter post I saw from Lewis Howes the other day that, um, that I just pulled up. He said, plot twist, 2020 has actually been the best year of your life. You've been forced to grow, reflect, and slow down. You face so many challenges and you overcome them. 2020 has forced you to grow exponentially. Don't take this year for granted. Right. Oh, yeah. All of us are going to look back at this year and I think realize how much we've learned. This has been, it's been an interesting year overall. I, you know, I, I think I've, I've talked a lot about the, you know, we've talked a lot about this sort of unexpected success of that I've had in this last year. But, I, you know, in perfect transparency, it's been very scary um, because, you know, last year things happened so fast and I, I got this sense of confidence. And I also got this sense of like, whoa, I, I need to, you know, get with it. And throughout this last year, I've transitioned out of all other forms of work. This is now my full-time thing. This is all I do. And prior to this course, I had tons of odd, you know, I had multiple streams of, you know, f- sort of freelance contract or miniature employment sorts of things. That's how I've operated my entire career because I never had anything that in and of itself felt like it was along the lines of something that I could I could enable my family to do what they wanted to do. And, you know, and that means I didn't want my wife to have to work if she didn't want to. I wanted my kids to be able to do extracurricular things. And I didn't, I, you know, I, I do not, I, I didn't want to live with any debt, you know, those sorts of things. And so I've always had multiple, multiple streams of income. And as this grew bigger and bigger, I was starting to realize that I could not faithfully tend to these other income streams and really give this what I wanted to give it. But the vulnerability and the, um, this idea now that like, I am, you know, I'm in it. And this, this is, you know, we've got to keep going. And this all, it's all relying on me. That's a scary thing. Whereas when you have this, you know, I've got this business writing jingles over here, and I've got this business doing radio over here, and I've got this other, you know, I've got this course business here, and I've got all these other little things that you're doing. Uh, there's a sense of confidence that you have. Well, you know, if this one fails, it's okay. I can just go to over here and do this. If this one fails, it's okay. I've got this. And I currently don't have that. I don't have a, well, if, if I stop, you know, if people stop signing up for courses, I can go do, I don't have that. And that, that there's a, a mindset thing as a course creator that, and as a content creator, it's, <laughs> you really have to check that in your, you know, because you got where you got as a course creator because it was fun and because you were enjoying the journey. And if it becomes something that is not enjoyable because you have to succeed, then you end up uh, like eating yourself alive. And I've, I've definitely had days where I've been there. Oh, you know, this, you know, the pandemic is, you know, nobody's buying uh, the course. It's been a few days and my courses or sales are down. And, and uh, you know, YouTube engagement you know, last year I was adding 500 subscribers an hour and now I'm not adding, you know, now it's this sort of slow, steady growth. I know that's normal, but I don't like it because I was, you know, there's, 
There's lots of mind things that happen when what you're doing then becomes necessary as opposed to this little game. And I'm still having the time of my life, but it's an interesting check that I have to have now that it's it's my bread and butter. It's my main thing, my only thing. Well, I mean, I appreciate you opening up about that because it's it's so true. I know you don't know a ton about me, but I was able to quit my job. I had a full time job. That was my one source of income. Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, I started piano in 21 days. I was able to quit that about four and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. But I get it. It's like I, you know, I've got two little girls, three and five years old. I'm married. You know, my wife doesn't work. Like, yep. What I bring in with my businesses, that's how we pay the bills. That's how right. we eat. Like, what if, what if all of a sudden people stop buying courses? Right. And the the two main things that I've done to help alleviate that stress would be diversifying income streams. One, right. And two is building up a business emergency fund. Right. Absolutely. I've always had a personal emergency fund, but not until this year. I mean, you, I've got my 2020 goals posted over here and. Number number five says three months of business expenses in the bank. Mm-hmm. I didn't have that before this year. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting because that, what you just said was something that I intuitively had built in when I started the business. I had already a plenty of bank cushion for the business to start, which is why I was able to dump money on those Facebook ads. And I, I really consider that time with, with Walliman where I didn't have my own list. And we were launching these courses together as extra. All of that became essentially my seed money so that I could go, okay, now I'm, I'm set up in a way where I am able to try new things, diversify, take further risk with my time and attention with my, my business. And if I go a few months where things aren't as bad, like at least from a monetary perspective and from a a supporting my family perspective, it's fine. Totally fine. It's not money that's the issue in terms of my, the source of anxiety that happens when I start to see trends or I think I start to see trends do certain things. It is, well, let me say this. It is not the next little while. It's not a short-term thing that, that gets me worried. Let's just use that word. Where I feel like I need my focus to be is building something that outlasts and outperforms the current business, which is built around my voice. I'm only going to be a, you know, sort of young, sort of hip, relevant, quirky, noisy YouTube vocalist for a little while. As a musician, and especially as the kind of musician that I am, you know, you're not cool and relevant that long. And so even if you, you know, like what's happened with me, you launch, you know, things, things blow up and you have all of a sudden you have this business and you're able to quit your other job and, and things are going great. To me, there's this long view of what is it that is going to allow me to be, to continue to provide value to my current audience, to reach out to new audiences that as I age, as my voice ages, as my audience ages, And these are questions that every business owner has, right? Every business has to pivot. Every business has to innovate or they die. It's a matter of, for me, continuing to create, but also at the same time, being able to decentralize the value that I provide from my face, from my voice, from my personality. That's the kind of business I want to build long-term. And I was part of a business like that at Jamplay 
where I was able to use my gifts and my my ideas and then go, here, Phil Keggy or Brent Mason or whoever awesome guitar player that's way better than I'll ever be, use this. And honestly, if I'm looking forward, I'd love to do that with other vocalists. I'd love to do that with other musicians, like I did as an employee of another company, but really help people discover that they can create amazing content that people will engage in. I just don't know how any of that looks. But I didn't know how any of my business looked a year ago either. And so there's this excitement that happens as well in the midst of the trepidation and, you know, fear of the unknown at the same time. Every business should be asking these types of questions, but that doesn't mean they are. Right. right? Absolutely. You're, you're, you're asking very intelligent questions to, to yourself about yourself and, and your business. That's, I would say, more rare than, than anything. Have you ever read any of Mike Michalowicz's books? No. He, his most recent one is called Fix This Next. Yeah. And I've, I've recommended it on the podcast many times. It's an amazing business book. And one of the concepts in that book is called the um, business hierarchy of needs, right? He talks about I've heard of that. You know, mm-hmm. Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that mm-hmm. things that we need personally. Like you're not going to seek, um, you know, something like a, a, a sports car if you have no food, right? You've right. got to worry about the food and shelter before you can worry about other needs, higher, you know, relationships. I forget what exactly they are. Mm-hmm. So in that book, he developed the same concept, but with business, right? The, the mm-hmm. bottom level at, at its core. What you need, like air and water and shelter, is in business, you need sales. Right. Right. Second level is profit. Third level is order, like operations, organization, stuff like that. But then he gets into things like impact and legacy. And that's, those are the things you're talking about right now. Right mm-hmm. now is like the impact and the, and, and the legacy, which is like the top end. You mm-hmm. can't really be looking at that unless everything below it is in good shape. And it sounds like, for the most part, things are for you. But I think for the most part, people are not thinking about that yeah. legacy piece like you are. Yeah. I think that legacy is a big part of it. I, you know, for the longest time, especially as an employee or as a contractor, I always said, you know, I'm a builder. I want to build something. It's interesting. I don't feel like I have built, I, I mean, I have, you know, I'm fortunate to have built something this last year for sure, but it is absolutely not it can't be the end game. You, you know, you see a lot, of, a lot of YouTube businesses or course businesses, they have a very short arc, right? You know, not, not everybody, but if they don't have a short arc, if they have a long staying presence, it's because they've pivoted. It's because they've offered value in a variety of different ways. They've diversified even within their own, their own offerings and their own business and their own personalities, right? And you, you know, you see YouTube, really successful YouTube channels where, you know, it may have started with one guy, but then it's, you know, it's five guys now, or you have a guy who teaches on a subject and coaches, but now he's got a team of coaches, or you have guys, you know, even like yourself who, you know, had tremendous success teaching one thing. And then they've taken that and they've gone and now you're helping people with courses specifically. Right. So you're replicating, you're expanding, you're duplicating. That is in many ways what I'm, I mean, I'm really excited about what I'm doing with vocals. Very, very, very excited. And I think that I have, I have room to build and scale there. And I think I have room to build and scale in other areas too, uh, that, that maybe don't even have to do with vocals. And I'm excited to do that. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you're, even if we're just focusing on the vocals side of things, it sounds like you're trying to build something that's that's bigger than yourself that transcends exactly. that and that it doesn't rely on your actual face. If that's the case, why did you why is everything on chrislipe.com and why is your YouTube channel Chris Lipe? 
Very good question. Because the the lack of foresight, there was a lack of foresight present in the beginning. I had gone from jamplay.com and you know, it was partially a lack of foresight, but I think it was also there was some strategy there. There is a what I saw five years ago in in the jam play realm is the trend of this. People don't care about brands. They they end up trusting people. They trust personality. And if if they like you and they trust you, then and you are your business, that is a way to build a customer base, to uh, create a strong student teacher relationship. And what I saw with jam play is it's like, okay, you know, there's 10,000 hours of, of uh, instruction and 80 instructors and, you know, people would sign up and be like, okay, I signed up. Well, it's basically YouTube behind a paywall. I don't, you know, there's, there's so many things. Where do I go? Who do I, who do I reach out to? I really want to, you know, and so my reaction to that was, I am not going to be a marketplace. I'm going to teach people how to do something, teach people how to sing. Initially, it was maybe record, maybe play guitar, but you're going to sign up because you like my approach. And that worked really well. I think partially because of where the market was and is at. People like the idea of buying a handmade bag from some guy who builds them from locally sourced things, even if it's a little bit more money, more than they like going to Walmart and order and and buying or ordering something that was was made through violating child labor laws. People like that. And like even if they even if a lot even if Walmart or whoever sells a lot of bags that are made like that way, people still there's still this market for that people still like that idea that of of buying this thing that was attached to someone's personality and their desires and their, you know, and that was my approach out of the gate. As I've seen that do really well, I've also seen the other side of it. And that is, okay, but I can't create content forever simply because I'm going to age. My voice is going to change. I can't just be me forever. I can use this incredible platform that I've now developed, which is chrislipe.com and build out from there. And it'll, t- because I didn't structure it that way, you know, and I've, I've got a lot of friends, you know, Graham Cochran from the Recording Revolution is a guy. I, I recently collaborated on a, a course launch with him. Oh, cool. Yeah. He's been on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, um, I'm just like this last Sunday, the course uh, launch closed over there. But, you know, he did Graham, Graham Cochran Recording Revolution. You know, the Recording Revolution is his thing, right? And he, a lot of guys have that, right? And I actually have that. I just haven't pushed that. I have chrislipe.com, which is me, but my courses are available on mymusicalvoice.com. That just hasn't been, that's what my teachable account is. That's where all my courses are hosted. And so there is opportunity. My plan right now for scaling is not though, I want to continue to push the personality and trustworthiness side of things rather than try to build a brand, which is going to compete with other brands. You know, You've got Singing Success, you've got Contemplant Vocal Academy, you've got Superior Singing Method, you've got these other brands that are out there. I don't know right now if the right move is for me to push my musical voice in, you know, put that in the hat like, hey, you know, you've heard of Chris Lipe. He's got these, you know, he's got these other instructors on my musical voice. I don't know if that's really the key. I think maybe the key for me is developing relationships with other fantastic vocalists, fantastic singers who maybe they teach a little bit. Maybe they are vocal coaches themselves, but I would like to be a mentor to them potentially and 
they can live on my musical voice if they'd like. But it's not about my musical voice. People could care less about my musical voice. It's about learning how to sing. And maybe if I don't resonate, you know, maybe maybe you like my approach, but you are a 18-year-old female and can't really relate to some of the ways that I do things like you could a female vocal instructor who has a similar instructional approach. Let's get behind that person. So these are, of course, my loose ideas, but uh, that's how ways that I'm hoping to move forward potentially. Man, that's that's uh, amazing. I mean, once again, you're just thinking about things at such a deeper level, and um, I have no doubt that you'll you'll find these things that you're looking for down the road. Because I just I don't think many people are, are thinking about things like that. They're thinking more mm-hmm. more short term than that. So look, we we've hit on a lot of different areas. We we took a deep dive into your funnel. We've talked about you know how amazing this this whole thing is for for you personally, and and that you've finally gotten success, and how amazing it is. One one big area that I would love to touch on before we wrap it up is is we haven't really talked about the impact that you're having on your students. And and that's that's really important to me. I can only imagine it's important to you. Do you have any like specific stories from from any of your students where your course has had a significant impact on on them personally? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what's been amazing is you know there's a lot of people who I I'm in contact with regularly if via course comments or people that have done private lessons or you know the private consult. A lot of them will say things in the course uh, about, you know, I just finished the course and I'm, I'm so thrilled at what happened with my voice. Here's some samples. Here's where I was at the beginning. Here's where I was at the end. And it's so fun to see. And I've actually got a couple video testimonials that are now part of my funnel so that people can, can see, you know, particularly for the cold funnels that where people are coming directly off of Facebook. But the general consensus is, and this is on YouTube and then also the people who've taken the deeper dive into the course is, wow, I have been trying to do this particular vocal thing forever. And within the first few weeks of the course, I have a completely new, or within the first video, I've been awakened to a perspective that has unlocked something I never knew was possible to unlock. I'd struggled with it for so long. And with your very simply put perspective and demonstration, you have solved a problem that I have not been able to solve in my years, decades sometimes of of singing journey, because so much of what is out there for singing in particular is very is very rote and methodical. And it's very much taught like another instrument, which is, you know, do these exercises, learn, you know, maybe learn some songs and Let's learn some definitions and study vocal anatomy. Whereas I go completely the other direction. In my course, there is zero talk of vocal anatomy. Zero. There is very little, if any, of your typical, you know, la 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 la, you know, push up to it, you know, warm up your voice in the scales and, you know, piano equivalent would be like the finger power exercises, right? There's, there's very little of that. And it's much more on learning your body, being intensely introspective as you make certain noises and are mindful of different sensations. And this approach has led to people unlocking their voice in amazing ways by their own testimony, but it's had an impact on their life uh, in general. Wow, I never thought that I would have this much fun washing my hands or speaking. Man, even my speaking voice is incredibly different and more engaged and feels so much better, which is, is so rewarding for me to hear. I love that 
you know, I've got a, a, another guy that is helping me curate uh, and collect comments, you know, because I might read them or respond to them, but I don't remember them. And so he'll, he'll go through and, and, you know, make these lists of things. And I'll go back and I'll look through some of those. And, and it's just so wonderful to read about the positive impact that the content and the interaction is having on people's voices and music and ultimately lives. It's interesting to hear, hear your approach there and that it's not the same as most vocal education. And that's, you know, it's clear why you've been successful. Russell Brunson talks about how you've got, if you really want to be successful, you've got to find a, a new opportunity uh, for your customers and not just an, uh, an improvement opportunity. Sure. Right? You didn't just take vocal education and improve it a little bit. You completely rethought about it. You, know, you broke it down and put it back together. Uh, can anyone learn to sing? Yeah. Anyone can learn to sing. And it's, it's interesting. I was talking with uh, someone on a private consult the other day. He has a good voice, but he's in the very beginning stages of discovering what it can really do. And I liken learning to sing to much more like becoming good at sports, at a particular sport, than becoming necessarily good at music. Yes, there are people that are genetically set up in sports to be really, really good at what they do, right? But anybody can study the mechanics of learning how to shoot a free throw and put in the work, learn how it's supposed to feel, understand the muscle memory behind it, and with time and attention and introspection, based on feel, be able to shoot great free throws. Unless you have something anatomically or genetically wrong, we all have the same arms, basically. We're all within a particular height range or whatever. So we can, with the right approach, we can learn to shoot a free throw or play golf. There are going to be better golfers and worse golfers, but you're still going to be able to play, right? The thing with vocals, though, is there's this, you know, what makes a good vocalist? It's not, it, clearly, from the most successful vocalists and singer-songwriters of all time, it's not being able to hit certain notes. It's not being good technically, necessarily, although there are those people who are known for their technical vocal abilities. It is the ability to connect emotionally with your listener. And with vocals, unlike any other instrument, there's no rules. You know, you've got someone like Tom Waits, who on, you know, a lot of his his recordings, he's you know gargling razor blades and hardly hitting you know pitches and you know he's he's got this sort of sound. You've got guys like you know Bob Dylan who you wouldn't consider to be a incredible vocalist, but they have this timeless voice based on their songs and their engagement with with their with their audiences that you would you wouldn't think that you know a guy that sings like that you know what. But he is an incredibly profoundly influential vocalist, even though he's not technically good. And then you've got guys, one of my uh, you know, heroes, Chris Cornell, who is an incredible songwriter and an incredibly like fit and amazing vocalist from a technical standpoint. You've got all these types of ranges. And so if we want to learn, if, if someone wants to learn how to sing, here's what I tell them. Don't imitate other people. You can have your, your uh, idols. You can have your heroes. Your voice is your own. I'm going to help you discover what your voice is. And that's part of discovering more about your personality. That's part of discovering how you feel about things emotionally. It's part of learning how your body works. It's part of learning how your speech voice works, how you've trained certain things, certain aspects of your speech voice to just kind of be you. 
And as you learn more about you, as you learn how to be introspective and you learn how to learn about these tissues that allow you to resonate as a voice, you will discover what your voice can do as you and become a singer. But you will be uniquely you as a singer. Yes, you'll be influenced, but you will not necessarily, you will not ever be someone else. You will be you. Where people fail and fall flat on their face as vocalists specifically is they listen to these other vocalists out there and they hear themselves talk or they hear themselves try, try to sing and they go, I can never do that. I'm not a singer. I can't even carry pitch. I don't even, well, you know what? Zach De La Roca from uh, Rage Against the Machine doesn't carry pitch. He's an incredible vocalist. There are a lot of vocalists. Jimi Hendrix hardly carries pitch. Known as a great vocalist. Find out who you are. Find out how your voice can work and does work in the initial onset of it and then embrace it as a project, as an experience, as an experience. That's the main thing we need to do is embrace our voice as an experience. Judge nothing, experience everything, and you will absolutely learn to sing. I'm sold, man. That that <laughs> sounded like straight out of your you know sales video for your course. That's, I mean, the, the focusing on the- I should put that in the sales video. The benefits to the person as an individual, just the transformative properties. And man, I'm, I'm so inspired. And look, my perspective is that I've been in music all my life. I, I mean, I, I don't play uh, any instruments besides the piano, but I've played the piano for 30 years and I've always just said, I, I can't sing. I'm not a singer. And my perspective is simply that for whatever reason, I wasn't given the natural ability to hit the right notes with my voice. And, and from what I'm gathering from you, it's, it's just a lot deeper than that. You know, it's, I would say that it is, you, you just said it's a lot deeper than that. In one way, you could look at it as a lot deeper, but I would say it's a lot simpler than that. Because if you, and if you watch my, you know, if you really engage in the, in the YouTube videos, I, I kind of prove this over and over again. And that is, you know, if you can do this, you know, if you can make some, some noise like that, but then do it very, very introspectively and go, okay, well, wait a minute. There was a little bit of a, like this like gritty sound. Well, wait a minute. I've been, I've been trying to sing gritty for a long time or. I actually hit when I went, ah! when I did that, there was a note quality that was actually really high up there. What if I spend time not trying to recreate the sound, but recreate the feel? Well, if I unpack just what I just did there, there's a whole orchestra of notes, a whole orchestra of textures that I just threw out there. I bet you can make a sound just like I made. And if you are willing to come alongside you know, the material that I present, and the methods that I use, you'll take those sounds and you'll realize how incredibly musical they are when you start to understand how they feel. It's not about hitting notes. It's about discovering sensations and then turning those into notes later. That's the magic of it. And it's so incredibly simple. Interesting. Cool. I, I, I didn't want to go without asking you about that, about sure. some, some of the singing itself. So look, the, this is probably the last question for you. And let's bring it back to online courses in general and the audience that's listening to this. Walking the path that you've walked here over the past year, the past 10 years, 20 years, now that you've experienced the success, like what advice do you have to the beginners out there? They have something they are good at or good at teaching, whatever, and they're thinking about getting into online courses. What advice do you give to them? First thing I would say is find your mentor. You know, it could be buying a course on how to make a course, uh, that, that, that I think those are valid and can be, can work very well. 
But what really worked for me was having a personal friend who had gone, you know, before me, who was willing to, you know, give me the keys. I mean, David Wallman helped me in, you know, I am, I am forever grateful to him. Uh, we are, we are amazing friends and, and I, I love him dearly. And I think that the, the opportunity to have a mentor like that and get me started. And, and, you know, we, we've had lots of conversations over this last year certainly have taken things in different directions than he goes. And, and he, he's still wildly successful as well. But having that mentor to hold me accountable, to give me that initial idea, you know, he's the reason I'm using ConvertKit and Teachable. He's the reason I went to YouTube instead of somewhere else, you know, and he helped me develop my initial, you know, email strategy and stuff like that, which has evolved, but it was a starting point. And for someone like me, I'm not inherently a risk taker. And so to have someone like that, that's, that's my first thing. The second thing is, and this is something I didn't do for a long time. You just have to do it. I talked to so many people, especially this last year, since I've, since this has happened to me, a lot of people come in, Hey, you know, I want to do something on hunting or I want to do something on this, or, you know, I've got my skill or, okay, I'll help you. You know, I'll, I'll be your David Wallman. I will. I'll do it. But you have to do it. The only thing that separates the people, I think, and this is, this is just speaking from my experience over the last year and a half, I could sit down here in my cave and be mad about all the other course creators out there and all the people who have hundreds of thousands of subscribers on YouTube and, oh, I can sing better than them. I, I could do better than that. I could cover that song better. I could and say that in my head. But what am I not doing if I'm just sitting down here grousing about that? I'm not making videos. I'm not making courses. You have to do it and you have to be willing to do it and feel like you're failing for a long time. And it has to become a hobby that you do simply because you like it, which is where I was before this took off. I had resolved myself. I'd gotten out of that discouragement and I was like, okay, well, instead of, you know, buying stuff and, uh, you know, this, this is going to be my expensive hobby for a while, just because I believe I can do it. I believe I want to do it and I find it fun. You have to come to that point and it, hopefully it'll continue to be fun. So those are the two things that I would say, you know, beginners getting into it, find a mentor and do it. Just go for it and don't stop. And don't stop. Well said, man. Yeah. Cause you, I mean, you said you were, you were close to giving up uh, well, uh, summer of last year and, yeah. and look at you now. So Chris, man, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for, for coming on and being so transparent about things and, and, and offering so much value. Uh, I want to encourage people to go to chrislipe.com. Uh, it's L-I-E-P-E. Whether you know they just want to see what you're doing, see what your funnel looks like, or if you know maybe you convince them that they can sing and, and want to be singing too. So go check it out. Request an invitation. Check out the free training and whatnot. So uh, man, thanks so much, Chris. We'll have to do it again one day. Sounds great. Thank you for having me on the show. My pleasure, man. All right. Well, that's a wrap on the conversation with Chris. So David, welcome back. Fire away with some of your takeaways from that conversation. Oh man, it was uh, it was a fascinating conversation. But uh, like you said before the you rolled the interview, I mean, there was this one thing that really built a huge amount of momentum that, that not necessarily everybody could recreate. Right. But I mean, there are some key parts of it. I mean, number one, this video on how to sing like Chris Cornell. And it had dying cat noises to unlock new things in your voice. I mean, number one, I mean, he was willing to do something embarrassing 
just to actually teach people and to provide this entertainment value as well. I actually clicked into that video and the comments were pretty epic. Like one person put, Cat Hole Sun is my favorite Soundgarden track. (laughs) Another person says, I still can't sing like him, but now I can sing like a dying cat, but I'm happy. Thanks. And then this person, this third person said, I'm going to subscribe right meow. So yeah, I mean, uh, love a good pun, man. It's, you know, it's hard to find the one thing. Uh, Mike Michalowicz's uh, new book that's coming out, it's called Different is Better. And like, that's the thing. It's not, Kristen just put up your generic run-of-the-mill singing video that every singing channel has. Like, he's trying to be different and stand out. And that's how you do it. And that's one of the many reasons he's found success so quickly. Yeah. This whole idea of him just getting in this mindset that Facebook ads was going to be his hobby. I personally, I felt like I had to like get in those mindsets. I got in that mindset about SEO. I kind of had to get in that mindset about the in-person marketing, actually going out and doing screenings for my my in-person business and the lunch and learns. I was like, I'm going to try to make it fun for me as well as these other people. But that whole idea of, you know, it's like once a business is actually making sales, you get that first bit of validation. Um, when you're the person doing everything, I mean, you really, really, really have to get into that mindset that the marketing is going to be fun and just make that your new hobby. At least that's been my experience. Here's one thing I don't want listeners to do based on this episode. I mean, you're free to do whatever you want, obviously, but I just don't think that for most people, the Facebook ad to a YouTube video is going to be a great idea, right? It will get, it will get views on the YouTube video, but it's just, that'd be very hard to make profitable right? If you want it to be a hobby like this, I mean, that's, that's one thing. Um, that's a little bit of a stretch, but Chris, it's just like, everything was like the perfect storm because he ran the, the ad, the Facebook ads to YouTube videos. And then his YouTube channel got featured because he had an uptick in views. That's just, well, I mean, you could try to recreate it, but it, I, in my opinion, it's, it's unlikely and not the best overall strategy. Yeah. That's, that's my sentiment <laughs> okay, too, good. but but yeah, like my wife's business, is, uh, she has granola face skincare, um, which is these personal like skincare products. And she loves researching products. She, she truly loves that. She loves like making the products herself. She actually loves talking about them and selling them in person. But what's been really cool, is she's gotten this relatively not small number of sales, but I would say somewhere between 10 and 20% are actually buying repeatedly now. And so all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, like Val, the lifetime value, if these people buy for the next 20, 30, 50 years, I'm like, you can really start to market. And, and I'm encouraging her to do exactly what I was just mentioning is like, honey, you need to like embrace your inner marketer. You need to start to have fun with that. And she's like, oh, I don't like technology. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'm like, this could be big. So yeah, if you out there, as soon as you get the first validation of the course uh, in your course concept, man, embrace that marketer. You're constantly sending me like marketing ideas and whatnot. So I'm sure you've got plenty of ideas for her to execute on. Definitely. All right, man. What else? Well, all right. So he, I mean, you seemed really impressed with just his strategy, the value emails, the way that people could request invites, um, just a different system than you have. And uh, I do uh, have a suggestion for you. And I know you're like, oh my God, Crozy, you give me so many ideas, but I know you're a busy guy. Uh, This one, the advantage is that it doesn't take a lot of time. Uh, 
it does do a couple of things because you've also talked about really wanting to have some well-defined uh, ring the bell moments yeah. on the the talk with Christy when you ran that next level Q and A. You said, "Yeah, I still still don't feel like that's defined quite as well." And so, what my suggestion to do would be a quarterly challenge within your community. And so, I've already mentioned one of these in the past, but so the first quarter would be the song gift challenge, and you'd really want to encourage people to learn a song to play for someone, encourage them to do it as a surprise, get them to create the video, and then they they paste it into your Facebook group or, or share it with you. Challenge number two is the play in public challenge. So that could be just finding a piano on the street where there's a crowd around. It could be playing in church. It could be playing at a party. Record yourself playing in public. Number three, challenge number three for the third quarter is going to be the play and sing challenge. And so just saying, you know, hey, let's let's make that the goal. A lot of people in your group probably do have that goal or they already do that. Um, but let's, let's, let's encourage them to record a video with that goal. And then uh, challenge number four is the one that would be most, uh, most lined up with how you originally enjoyed the piano. And that's the play your fave challenge. So, you know, just get people like thinking like, oh, what song would I learn for that challenge? And uh, I see this as just a win-win. So again, in your marketing, and within your course, you're giving them that ring the bell moment that you could mention in a webinar, like people, people rise up to the occasion because we have these challenges. It keeps them engaged in the group. They love it. If you wanted to, at some point, you could do one of like Tim Shields webinar sandwiches where you could actually announce the voted on winners. And then um, these would give you some value emails. So I'm on your email list. And right now I get, I get launched to every few months, uh, the relaunch, but there's not a lot of value emails. And uh, I'll tell you, within my chiropractic practice, I have found that one of the most open emails that I ever send out just has the subject line meet and then somebody's name. And so if you had the winners of one of these challenges and you said meet Joe, Tom and Susie, like people will open that that email at a very high level just to see their faces like, oh, I wonder who these people are. One additional thing, if you were going to have an actual quarterly kind of like ceremony within the Facebook group, I thought it could be fun to do one course giveaway a quarter. And so on that last email, after, after people, you say you didn't buy, you could actually say, you know, if the main reason is finances, you know, shoot me, you know, record a video with, you know, why you feel like you would be a candidate for this quarterly giveaway, what songs you want to learn, what you're going to do with your musical skills. And uh, you could have people within your Facebook group vote on that. And and give away one course a quarter. So adding in that uh, altruistic and just generous part of your your course. Crazy the idea, man. <laughs> I love it, man. So Colleen, if and when you're listening to this, please like help me execute on these things. These are great. Write them down. Um, I love it. This is exactly the type of thing I'm trying to do in my community, especially my uh, my paying students. Is uh, you know these idea the idea of these challenges is phenomenal. I can picture that like the play in public challenge. Like I can picture people really getting into it and posting videos and encouraging each other. And man, thank you. Awesome. And look, we're at, you, 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 you're the one that brought up like the recital, things like that before we're executing on that. The, I'm not sure if I mentioned that in the podcast, but the eight people that I taught my new curriculum to live, like I'm going to do a recital with just those eight people. Awesome. Yeah. I'm excited about that. So I'm going to present that live and then and then their videos will be pre-recorded. It wouldn't be fair to ask them to do it live as well. Half of them got nervous just when we were on our normal Zoom and I would ask them to play something. 
Now, have you figured out a strategy to actually put that out to people that are just on your list or are you going to do it first within the Facebook group? Not sure. I haven't fully um, thought through the whole thing. I basically gave the eight people till the end of the month to submit the video to me. So I was going to kind of wait and see how that goes, what it looks like, and then we'll get a plan together on how to execute on it. But I'm hoping sometime in December, we can do like a live recital for either paying members, whole audience, not sure yet. Yep. So back to Chris Lipe. (laughs) Chris Lipe. Okay. So at the very end, he gave this amazing pep talk that anyone can sing. And uh, you said that you were inspired. So uh, I wanted to just give you a chance here. Uh, The first day that the first day that I was on the podcast, you asked me what my um, my karaoke song was, and uh, I wanted to turn that around on you and uh, put you on the spot here and ask you to make this day one as a singer live on the podcast. You're killing me. No is the answer. It's not going to happen. Did I say what my like go-to karaoke song was? No, let's hear it. Uh, I would say probably Ride With Me by Nelly. Hey, must be the money. All right. That's that's a little bit of singing. Either that or um Friends in Low Places by Garth Brooks, possibly. Oh, but no, I'm but yeah, it was inspirational to hear him like instill the confidence that literally anybody can sing to some level. Um I would like to be able to, and maybe I'll go through Chris's course one day. I've got a little a little too much on my plate right now. Isn't that always the, the excuse, right? But yeah, very inspirational. All right. Well, I was going to dig in my heels if you refused to sing and uh, kind of badger you into it, but you did give us a line there <laughs> of Nelly. So I'll, I'll let that count. Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate that kindness. All right. Well, I don't want to get out of here without really um, honing in on something that Chris did that I think is incredibly important that I talk about all the time. And that is uh, he wouldn't have the level of success without putting in the time and attention and consistency to his YouTube channel that he did. In fact, I had somebody ask me recently in one of the Next Level Courses Q&A, they were like, hey, I really did a deep dive on your YouTube channel. And I noticed that you didn't, haven't really released a video once a week like you always talk about. I'm like, okay, yes, calling me out. But here's the thing. Not all of the advice that I give is based purely on what I've done that succeeded. And I think in a lot of ways, that's actually doing a disservice because there might just be certain things that simply work for me and my brand that won't work for anybody else. So a lot of the advice that I give on online courses comes from patterns and trends from all these successful course creators that I've had come on. I mean, this is episode 159 here. So of of 159 episodes, it's got to be over 100 different course creators that I've talked to that are all, you know, if I have a course creator on, they're making at least a full-time income in some cases, multiple five figures per month. You know, we've had plenty of six figure a year people, seven figure a year people and so on. They're very successful for the most part. And a lot of times it's people you've probably never heard of for the most part, but there's been so many stories where people succeeded with YouTube in terms of building their audience. And this is, this is certainly one here. There's been a lot of them. And, um, and if you don't have an audience, if you're struggling with sales because you don't have an audience yet, then I think YouTube is an awesome place for course creators. And that's because of all the stories that I've heard on this podcast about that. So that's my big takeaway for this one is just a reminder that if you do things the right way, that you can find success pretty quickly, like Chris did, by do, doing some simple things consistently. Just a message for, for, those, for, for those listening to this. 
Definitely. Well, and I mean, it's kind of a, do you have more time or do you have more money? And uh, YouTube is, YouTube is something that if you have time, you can start to create great content with technically a cell phone camera. So, yep, technically. So, I mean, there's one, one guy in in our uh, next level courses that is putting out some consistent YouTube videos now, which is great. His lighting is horrible, but he was able to share it with, with the community. I'm like, look, dude, you got to, everything's great. His audio is great. His content was great. His thumbnails were great, but it, it was like the whole video was very dark. And it's like, look, by even just one light coming at you will completely up your game and just keep doing everything you're doing, but add the light and it's going to get better and better. And he's getting like a hundred views per video right now, even with the poor lighting. So you got to start somewhere. Um, I cringe going back to the first videos that I put out there. Um, but look at me now, David, look at me now. So there you go. I say that sarcastically. So, uh, look, I think that's going to put a bow on this episode. So thanks so much for coming into this. Thanks for Chris for joining me here. Everyone can check out chrislipe.com. That's I before E except after C. So it's L-I-E-P-E, chrislipe.com. And you can find that link and all the other links we talked about in the show notes by going to oc.show slash 159. Until next time, let's get out there and make some next level courses that provide transformation and not just information. How'd I do, David? How was that? Was that good? That was pretty good. Transformation over information. All right, everyone. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time. Oh, 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 oh,